Well, what we're going to do is we're going to begin this morning what is, I suppose you could call it an intermediary sermon series on what I firmly believe to be uh, an overlooked book of the Bible, an overlooked book of the New Testament, this book you've got in front of you, Philemon. So over the next three weeks, four weeks, we're going to look at this New Testament book. So what is it? Like, what is this that we've got in front of us just now? Well, even if you look at your page, you see the obvious thing. This is the shortest of all of Paul's epistles. Really, it's only a few hundred words in the Greek. So it's a short book. And then you can tell, can't you, by the title, it's quite different to a lot of his epistles. It's, it's, it's more personal than some of the epistles when you see you know what it's like paul writes to churches in the main doesn't he churches and uh, expounding doctrine doesn't he well here do you see it's different primarily he's writing to one man philemon and he's writing about what is a, a personal issue quite a sensitive issue he's dealing with in this letter and i first thing want to know did you get it did you pick up on what the issue is when we read it out. It really uh, surrounds this chap called Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave. And he was a slave belonging uh, to this Christian man Philemon. Now, Onesimus the slave has done wrong. You picked up on that, did you? Although we can't be too definitive about it, it seems, there's a few hints along the way, it seems that Onesimus has stolen from his owner Philemon, and Onesimus has then run away, he's legged it after stealing from his owner. Then, yes, on his travels, a miracle occurs that he is brought, somehow comes across the apostle Paul who was in jail in Rome. And what happens to this thieving slave? The slave is saved. Onesimus, through the witness of the Apostle Paul, Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. <laughs> Marvelous. And so what does the Apostle Paul do? Well, the Apostle Paul, he's now in the company of Onesimus. He writes back to Philemon, his owner, and he begs Philemon in this letter to welcome Onesimus back. But more than that, to welcome Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. Are you with me? Is it not glorious story? Is it not intriguing already? It is, isn't it? And I guess we're left with one last introductory question, aren't we? Why are we going to look at Philemon? Is it just that it's short? Is that the only reason that we're looking at this? Does it just because it fits with your minister's timetable? Is that the only reason? No. Get this, here in these words, we are shown the transforming power of the gospel of God. We're shown, we'll see in the next few weeks, the gospel is not just something that you and I assent to with our heads. The gospel can and does transform us. It transforms the way that we are, the way that we live, the way that we are with other people. So are you ready to do this? Well, we look to Philemon. And this morning, let's see... How the gospel transforms the relationships here in the church. And I'm going to give you the first heading just now. It's this. See if you can get it. The boys and girls with their worksheets better be ready to get the heading. It's this. We see, first of all, 
the need for love in the Christian community. That's what we're showing, first of all. The need for love. Boys and girls, did you get it? Those who are doing the worksheets. The need for love in the Christian community. Okay. Um, Answer me this. What should our relationships be like in a congregation like this? What, in the ideal sense, should the dynamic be a London City Presbyterian church, do you think? Like, is it okay in a city like this for us to be strangers? It's difficult. Is it all right for us just to see each other like this and worship and then go at the benediction? Is it all right to be strangers? Or, I don't know, should it be a bit more than that? Should we be acquaintances? Should we be friends? I mean, should we be family? What should the dynamic be? Well, I think we're shown in Philemon the New Testament expectation that actually we be, people like you and me, we should be a group of the most loving and committed people on earth. And we're shown that in a number of ways. So this is the first thing that I really want you to do. I want you to notice the, ready for it, the recipients of the letter. Have you got it open? Do you see the recipients? Now, who did I say Paul was writing to a moment ago? I said he was writing primarily to this guy, Philemon, didn't I? And Philemon seems to have been a kind of main player in the church in Colossae, right? He's a, maybe he was an elder, a bit of speculation, but maybe an elder in Colossae, Philemon. But do you see verse 2? Paul doesn't just write to Philemon. Who does he write to? He writes to this woman, Aphia. Most commentators think Aphia, because of the way she's up there with Philemon's name, that she's probably his wife. Okay, so Paul is not, everyone with me? Paul's not just writing to Philemon, he's writing to Aphia. She's included. She's included in this letter. Keep looking. We've also got Archippus. Now, you should all know who Archippus is. Do you? Do you know your Bible as well? Archippus was also a main player. You learn this in the letter to Colossians. Archippus was also a, a main player in the church in Colossae. So he is also included. Stay with me. He's also included in his letter. So it's not just Philemon. There's a few. And then look at the end of verse 2. Paul also writes to all of the church that met in Philemon's house. So he addresses... All those who made up one of these house churches that were part of the Colossian Presbytery. He writes to the whole church. Now, will you think about that with me? Do you not find that really, really surprising? Think about the nature of the letter. What's Paul doing? Paul is addressing a really, really personal problem between Philemon and Onesimus, isn't he? So what would you expect him to do? There's a problem, there's a breakdown in a relationship. What would you expect him to do? Can I tell you what I would expect if it was a worldly letter? Let's keep a lid on this, Philemon. You know, let's, the private letter, right? Wouldn't you expect that? Your relationship with Onesimus is kind of broken down. I'll write a private letter to you. I seek it. And he doesn't. He's very, very public. And I'm asking you as a church, do you see why? Why does he write to the whole church? Because he knows they're so close. That the breakdown of one relationship will have a knock-on effect for the whole congregation. Is everyone hearing this just now? 
Paul knows that this church here was so intimate. There's such intimacy there that a seemingly personal, private matter is actually a matter for the whole church. What do you see? You see Christian closeness. Don't you Christian love? Now, if we see that in recipients, don't we also, second thing I want you to get, don't we also see it in the descriptions that Paul gives? Many, many years ago, I studied for a while, for a short while, at uh, the Divinity Faculty in Glasgow University. Um, Divinity Faculty. And it was not a pleasant experience at all. And um, most of my tutors, my teachers, lecturers, they all, most of them were not believing people. And they all, I think, almost seem to have it in for one particular character. They all seem to have it in for the Apostle Paul. Maybe actually you've heard this sort of thing before, have you? The Apostle Paul is a bit of a bull in a china shop. The Apostle Paul's a hard man, a chauvinist. You heard that sort of idea? The Apostle Paul, egomaniac, that sort of thing. I really genuinely wonder if these people have ever read the epistles. Because friend, what to you jumped out about the author in the reading of Holy Scripture today? I mean, what, what was your impression of Paul? Is it not this? The intensity of the love that this man has for the Christian community. Is it that what just flies out to you off the page? Look at it. Look at verse 1 and how he describes Philemon. What does he call him? Do you see it? Paul calls him his beloved fellow worker. I want to say this to you. That is not verbiage. It is not guff. Remember, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul loves him. This is, he loves Philemon. Carry on. Look at Aphia. What does he call Aphia? He calls her his sister. So Paul loves this woman with the depth of love that a person has for their sibling. He looks at her and he genuinely sees a family member. He genuinely sees a sister. And then the best of them. I want the men in here to get the third one. Look at Archippus. What does he say about Archippus? This is what we are. He calls him his fellow soldier. Man, isn't that lovely? He views that man with the strength of affection that men in the trenches, men on the battlefield, the front lines, they develop for each other. That's how he sees Archippus. Do you see it? What do you see with Paul? Love. He loves these people deeply, intensely. So we see this closeness in the recipients. We see it in the descriptions. Most of all, I think we see this closeness in the Christian community. In Philemon's service of the church. I'm, I'm going to turn this over to you. So you have to wake up. Um, I don't know if you've ever played Bible trivia games before. Have you ever played with family or friends Bible trivia games? I love Bible trivia games. Because I am a minister and I just feel under pressure. If I come to your house for an evening... I do not ever want to play Bible trivia. I just feel that if I lose, <laughs> I deserve to get fired. So I'm under pressure in a Bible trivia game. But maybe you've played it. 
let's imagine you had, and let's imagine in the Bible trivia game, this question came out. How does the Apostle Paul usually, boys and girls, listen, how does the Apostle Paul usually begin his letters? What are you going to say? What sort of things make up the beginning of Paul's letters? You would say he puts his name at the start, doesn't he? Paul, Apostle, or Paul, Prisoner for Christ, right? You've got that, right? What else does he do at the beginning? Recipients. He writes who he's, the names of the people he's writing to, doesn't he? What else does he do? Is there not a greeting a lot of the time? A salutation? Grace and peace to you from God the Father. And Yes? What's the last thing that Paul almost always does in his letters? There's a section, isn't there, of thanksgiving? Isn't there? Not all the time, not every letter, but there's a section in his letters of thanksgiving at the beginning. Now, I'm asking you, did you notice what he thanks God for in this letter? Look at it. Look at verse 5. He praises God. What does he thank God for? The love that Philemon shows. Look how he develops on fact. Just look at verse 7. Look at the service of Philemon. He says that the hearts of his fellow believers, can this be said of us? The hearts of his fellow believers have been refreshed through Philemon's service. Isn't that just the most beautiful, lovely, doesn't it sum up everything I'm saying to you just now? Listen to me. If I had a TARDIS, and we went back just now to the first century world, all of us, and we knocked on the door of this Colossian house church. We opened the doors, they gather. What would you expect to find in that place? What would you expect to find? Wouldn't you find a loving people? You would find a congregation that were sharing their lives. They were so close. They were praying all the time for each other, spending all their time with each other. They loved each other. Now, what did I say at the start of the service? I says, this is a fragmented, difficult time of year. Let me say to you why I always say in the summer, this is a season of opportunity for you and for me. Some of you have been on holiday, are on holiday, or going on holiday. You know what these breaks are like. That gives you an opportunity to pause and assess everything, doesn't it? You can today assess, yes, your relationship with Christ, but also your attitude to his church. And I wonder if you see from Philemon what God is prompting us towards. God wants us at London City Presbyterian Church to become a closer-knit community of faith. That is the challenge before you, if you are a member of this church, to become a closer-knit community of faith. We have to be like these people. Like you and me have to be more willing to open our homes to everyone here. We have to be willing to do that, to share our time with each other, to pray with each other. We have to even... Be willing to, as here, deal with very, very difficult personal issues and to do so as part of God's church. Are you willing to do that? We see the need for love in the Christian community. Second thing we see here, boys and girls, you're listening, make sure you get it. The second thing is much more briefly the knock on benefits of love. 
in the Christian community, the knock-on benefits uh, of love in the Christian community. What have we seen? What have we just talked about? We've seen that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has transformed this church, this community, and they love one another. It's a beautiful thing. What I want us to focus on briefly just now is the unintended benefits, blessings, even maybe, I think, the unimagined blessings that come to Christians when they live like this. Now, I think we could just now look at great knock-on benefit. You see at the very end of the section, if you would look down to verse 7 with me. Let's all look at it together, even the boys and girls. Look at verse 7. Now, Paul speaks of, what do we just say, of how Philemon has refreshed the hearts of the saints through his service. Awesome thing to say. But notice the unintentional consequence. How does he begin the verse? Look at verse 7. How does he begin the verse? Who has been blessed by this? Paul says that Philemon's service to others has brought joy and comfort to Paul. Amazing. That though Paul is not in Colossae, Paul is miles away, Paul is in Rome, that through hearing reports of Philemon's service, Paul has been warmed. Paul has been, do you know what? The Apostle Paul has been inspired by Philemon's. Don't you think we can rest on that? The fact that our service of people in this room can inspire Christians we have not even thought about or considered. Your service of people in here can enliven Christians you don't even Oh, isn't that a beautiful thing? Couldn't we focus on that? We could. Believe me, there's a sermon series in that. We're not going to go there. There's something else. See, a lot of you in this room just now will know the name that I'm going to shout. It's the name David Strain. It is a sad indictment on how transient we are that quite a lot of people in the room don't know who David Strain is. But David Strain is one of my predecessors. So Reverend David Strain is not the minister before me, but I think I'm right in saying the minister before that. Getting a few nods, so I must be onto something. So he's, he's now a minister in America, in the deep south. Um, the Reverend David Strain has written on these verses here, spoken on them. And he says something that I found really very, very interesting. So he says this, I'll, I'll share it with you. So David Strain says that what you have in front of you in your hands is something truly revolutionary for the Christian life. What what a a big thing. He is saying that there is something in these short verses that we've got here that can revolutionize the way that we view our experience, revolutionize our our, our lives. We want to know what that is. Don't we want our lives revolutionized here? Look at verse 6 then. So in verse 6, Paul has moved out of thanksgiving. He's now making a petition to God. Now, what is this phrase that he speaks about? He speaks about, do you see it? He speaks about Philemon sharing his faith. I'll turn that over to you. What do you think of when you hear that expression? Sharing your faith. What do you think about witnessing? Do you? Sharing your faith, evangelism, and telling other... Yeah, listen, that is not what Paul's talking about. The Greek word that Paul uses there is a word koinonia. You heard of that word koinonia? It's a broad term, koinonia, but it has at its heart fellowship. 
generosity, service, participation, partnership in the gospel. So everyone is with me. You see what Paul is talking about? He's talking about Philemon's service. We've got that far. And we are saying, right, it's great, but how is that revolutionary? So David Strain, if he was here, we would be saying to him, man, this is, you're talking about service. How is this, how does this change my life, man? What exactly does Paul pray in the petition? Do you see? He prays that Philemon's service of the saints will for him, for Philemon, become effective for the full knowledge of everything in Christ. Do you see what that means? Paul is asking God that through Philemon's service, God might grant Philemon blessing. Everyone hearing that? By serving others, Philemon himself will grow in fullness of Christ, in joy in Christ, in spiritual blessings in Christ. And surely you're with me, that is revolutionary. Because Christian friend, how do you think blessing comes? What do we think? Come on. Reading your Bible. Praying. Listening to preaching. The Lord's Supper. That's how blessing comes, isn't it? Amen. Amen. It is. But what is God teaching us here? That blessing also comes should you and I humbly serve one another in Christ. There is blessing to be had there. And so I must, as your minister, pose you this question. As you sit in this church today, are you crying out to God for renewal of your heart in Christ? Has it been for you a really stale season in the Christian life? Has it longing to be refreshed and and changed? Well, could this not be the missing ingredient in your Christian walk? Because I am appealing to you that we do this, that there is koinonia in this church. You and I, do you know what we need to do? We need to visit each other more. And you and I, we need to actually go out and identify the people on the edges of this congregation. We need to go to them. We need to welcome them. The people who are genuinely struggling in this congregation, you and I need to go to them. There needs to be koinonia. We need to pray and share and be together. And why? Why? What does it say? That we might know the full knowledge of every good thing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I am going to close with this. Boys and girls, you ready? What have we got? We've got the need for love in the Christian community. The knock-on benefits of love. And then lastly, the nature of love in the Christian community. It is that moment in the service where I look down at my children (laughs) to see if they've got the headings, only to realize that they're not doing the worksheets and they're doing a drawing, probably of me, and it won't be that flattering. So we'll deal with that later, I think. Uh, I can state, I think, without much fear or contradiction from you, um, that the desire for community is inherent in the human heart, isn't it? You can see that if you look around London, that people long for community. We see it in our football fans, football teams. 
We see it, I'm sure, at work. We see it like with the mums at school. People desperate. They long to be long, right? Now, what you've got in front of you in Philemon and in Colossae is a people who genuinely have that community. They've got it. They love each other. They are sharing together. They've got that community. So what's the question that the world has? Maybe the question you have of this text is this, isn't it? How do we get this sense of community? Like the world is desperate for it, cannot have it, Can this sense of real closeness be fabricated by organization, by activities? Like, how do we actually get the sense of community, right? That's the question. Now, we are actually told the answer here, here, but it's not easy. And we're near near the end. I'm going to close with us. So you're going to come with me on it. Look at verse 5. Come on, we'll, 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 we'll close in with this. Look at verse 5. Now, you've got in verse 5, love and what else is mentioned? Do you see? So you've got two things. You've got love and faith. And do you notice also that there are two objects of these things? You see, you've got love and faith. What else? What are the objects? You've got the Lord Jesus and you've got all the saints. So what have we got? We've got love and faith, and we've got the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Now, all the commentators wrestle with this. How do these things relate to these things? Like, what goes with what? Faith and love, Lord Jesus, the saints. What's the relationship here? What goes with what? And as I said, I'm just about to end, but I want to just give you the three options, okay? First one is this. Love and faith are interchangeable terms. So actually, quite a lot of the commentators and the scholars will say this. Paul's just saying about Philemon, he's a good bloke, loving, faithful type of, he's a pious guy, godly guy towards everyone and everything. Interchangeable terms. That's an option. Let's put that away. Second option is this, that love and faith go both with the Lord Jesus and the people. You see the idea? That, that Philemon is faithful to Jesus, faithful to the church. He's loving to Jesus, loving to the church, right? Both things go with the Lord Jesus, right? Let's put that aside. Here's the third one. I find it most convincing. Grammatically, it is much more likely that what Paul is doing right here is repeating the sentiment at the beginning of letter to Colossae. Do you know what he says at the beginning of Colossians? Listen very carefully because you will hear the source of community. You ready for it? How do faith and love relate? And Paul says in Colossae, in Colossians, he praises God for the Colossians' faith in Christ and then their love for the saints. What does faith go with? Christ. Love with the saints. And do you see, indeed, what that means? You might be looking at me and saying, well, that seems just technical. Faith in Christ, love for the saints. But don't you see, you are being shown by God and Philemon, the source of true community. How can we love people genuinely? How can there be closeness, togetherness, intimacy like this? It only comes out of what? Faith in Christ. There must first be faith in Christ. Only then shall there be this koinonia and this love for each other. And if you are a 
Christian in here this morning, surely you see the message there. We need to be more loving in this congregation. But our primary focus cannot be on each other. We are wretched. We are horrible people in here. We really are. And if we focus primarily on ourselves, we will fail to love each other. What must be our number one priority? It must be increased faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian friend, your focus must first be on Jesus and what he's done for you. But if you are not a Christian, hear this. I think I can say this to you, and you won't disagree. You long to belong. We all do. You want community. You want friendship. You want closeness. And God this morning is showing you how that comes. You must first repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, Savior from sin and from death and hell. If you do that this morning, it's beautiful. I love this part. I love being able to say this to you. If you bow to Christ this morning, not only will all of these relationships you have in this church be utterly transformed. Do you know what? I'll come to you just now. Grace and peace from God. Awesome. You bow to Christ just now. Yes, you will be reconciled to the people here and your fellow man. You bow to Christ Jesus today and you will be reconciled to the almighty, eternal God. That is what is an offer through Jesus Christ. Is that not good news? Friends, members of London City Presbyterian Church, we've got work to do, don't we? Let us be, as the people in Colossae, let us be a loving, open community of saints in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us not to point the finger at other people in this church. Lord, we ask that as we hear a message about the need to love and to share, that we not think about the things of other people. Help us to recognize the depths of depravity and feelings in our own hearts, how we have failed to love, how we have failed to be committed to a congregation of your church. But Lord, we have a bigger prayer. We know, Lord God, that there may well be people in here who are in condemnation and outside of Christ and in their sin and destined to face your judgment. And we cannot do anything about that. We know it is a work of God and God alone. So we ask that you would indeed reconcile these people to you through the person and the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen.